Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Behind the Human. I'm your host, Mark Champagne. It's my job to unpack these stories and mental fitness practices of people living at the top of their game, personally and professionally. Today, we are jamming with Jeffrey Shaw, who started as a photographer and became famous for his on-location style and fine craftsmanship. He was the go-to photographer for families of C-suite executives, supermodels, news anchors, sports icons, and Wall Street executives. His portraits appeared on The Oprah Show, CBS News, People, and O Magazine. And after 35 years of serving exclusive clients, Jeffrey shifted to sharing his knowledge of business, branding, and marketing to support self-employed and small business owners and progressive-minded companies. He authored Lingo and the Self-Employed Life and hosts the top-ranked podcast, also called The Self-Employed Life. Jeffrey, welcome to the show. Hey, Mark. I'm glad to hang out with you for a while. Me too. I mean, we were <laughs> recording on your show not too long ago, right. and I was just joking before we hit record. It's it's a real treat to be able to, to see you two times in one week. So I'm excited. I'm grateful for, for you uh, to come on and share a part of your journey and, of course, um, you know, I'm biased with a lot of the work that you're doing. It's it's so needed. And um, yeah, I'm excited. I'm excited. So but before we jump into all of the work and all of the, uh, you know, projects that are lighting you up and so forth, I just like to ground, ground the conversation around, you know, who, who are you? Who's the person today that is behind the mic uh, on this show? Awesome. Well, First of all, I'd like to think I'm someone who always tries to do my best. You know, sometimes I succeed, sometimes I, I don't. Sometimes you're the windshield, sometimes you're the bug, you know. Um, <laughs> I love that. <laughs> but beyond that, I, I have to say, I, I'm someone who at a very early age, and I, I thought about this and guessed maybe around the age of three, but somehow at a very early age, I had absolute clarity that it was my job, my responsibility to take this soul on one hell of a journey, that where I was going to end up would look nothing like where I started. And I also even suspected at some point in my life, that would be my role to others. Like at some point in my life, it would be my job, as it turns out is, to help people you know, end up in their lives far different from where they started. Um, and, and I'd like to think that I'm someone who has has lived up to that every every day of my life. And I, and I, I feel that I have, uh, because I tell you, even up till now, and I, I hope to have a long runway ahead of me, but even up till now, it, it definitely has felt like a hell of a journey. <laughs> yeah. Um, and in one where already, you know, I'm, I'm ending up currently very different than where I started. And curious as hell as to what's ahead of me. Oh, that's uh, exciting. So, yeah, it's, yeah, it is exciting. And it, but it's been, like I said, I, it, it was a clarity. Like, I don't want to say message, a calling, you know, I don't know what to call it. I just know, I mean, I had to be, be around three years old. I just, I just was so clear, like, oh, this is why I'm here. <laughs> Tell me more about that. I mean, like, what was there, was it, was it your upbringing, your surroundings, your environment? Like, what, what do you think sparked that reflection? You know, I think introspection, right? I don't think I had, a, I don't, I don't feel like I grew up in an environment that would foster that at all, honestly. Okay. And maybe that's yeah. it, right? Maybe it's the opposite of, maybe it's the friction caused by what's around you. Because I did not have an introspective family. I'm somebody, I mean, I was reading self-help books and personal development books from such an early age. I would save up whatever little money I made from allowance or uh, selling eggs door to door and things I did. And I would save up money and I'd buy books by Wayne Dwyer and, yeah. um, you know, and I'd hide them in my house because it would just be really weird for my family to to see me as that person. So um, I would say, if anything, 
you know, it was kind of ignited by, if anything, with the friction of the environment. But, you know, I also think that fundamentally, I, I believe in kind of, I'll call, I'll say sequential souls. Mm. <laughs> you know, I don't want, I don't like labels. I'm not going to call it reincarnation. I'm not going to call it heaven. Um, but in my observation, not everybody's born into the world at the same level of development. <laughs> you know? Yes. <laughs> so the only thing I can make of that is this idea of sequential souls. Like, I don't know, maybe this soul has taken a ride before and comes into the current existence with more information than somebody else. And so I think, you know, I just kind of grabbed onto that. I'm like, it just felt like a responsibility. It just felt like I was handed something and said, this is your responsibility. And, and it felt to me like perhaps I was starting, even though my environment was kind of raw and starting from not a whole lot. I felt like from a place of wisdom, I was starting with a lot. And yeah. it was just up to me to, and I, which I kept very quiet to myself, but I felt like it was up to me to do something with it. Okay. And was that first something, I mean, there's so many fun stories about the selling of the eggs. <laughs> yeah. um, was that first something, was that one of the moments where kind of that showed up for you? Um, that, you know, that where you, you <laughs> kind of connected mm -hmm. those two, those two elements of, 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 I guess, what makes you, you? Mm -hmm. I would say in that, I pushed myself really far, right? I mean, I, at 14 years old, to your point, the story is, the story goes, I lived in the, what was considered the country then. It was only an hour and a half out of Manhattan, but back in the day, it was farmland. Yeah. Um, I mean, we shared a phone number with five families because there weren't enough phone wires, right? The party wow. lines, if anybody remembers that. <laughs> so um, it was remote and it was the country. And at age of 14, any time in my life prior to the age of 14, and quite honestly, even up to the age of mid, even mid-20s, I identified as having paralyzing shyness. Yeah. Like I just, I didn't want to speak to people. I didn't want to be spoken to. I just wanted to sit back and observe life, uh, which I really believe was a big impetus to becoming a photographer because it's a, the art of observation. Yeah. Um, so for me to sell eggs door to door at the age of 14, which meant also going to a local farm, collect, I, didn't, I didn't have the chickens, but I went to a local farm, collected the eggs, went door to door, I don't think anything could have been scarier to me. Like I wanted to vomit. Of course. <laughs> but I think that 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 mess, that that early clarity, again, it was like being handled a responsibility. And I was just so throughout my life, I've said, just get over yourself and do this thing. Right. So yeah. get over your shyness, get over your fear and just do this thing. So to me, it was an impetus to constant. That to me is the connection between at age of 14, really stepping out in a way that was incredibly uncomfortable to me in life, but feeling like it was my duty and I would be okay. There was a sense of safety, even though I was, I was scared. Well, and what, so then what drew you to photography after that? Um, I think probably a combination. I mean, again, it's always fun to, in hindsight, and, and this work can often only be done in hindsight, right? Where you can, hi in hindsight, try to connect the dots. I think it's a combination of, of one, again, I just, I am an observer. I really could sit back um, and just watch life. I mean, I choose to participate in it so I can make something of my life, but I really could just sit back and look at it. Yeah. Like, it's just not a problem for me. So I love observation. I uh, love watching how it make, how it makes other people tick. So that combined with, I mean, seriously, if you were to pick a profession, especially back in the days of darkrooms, if you were to pick a profession as a shy person, what's better than being a photographer, right? I mean, somehow when I put a camera, back in the day, those cameras were big, 35 millimeter cameras and medium format cameras were big. So I felt hidden behind something as I was out in the world. Um, yeah. And then the 
behind the scenes work was all done in a dark room. So I don't think there was a, a better profession. But again, the connection back to my earlier comment about the, the hell of a journey, um, the irony was I was good at it. So right away, I started getting all these national awards and my high school's pushing me out on tour in New York City. I'm going to art galleries and then I go to photography school and I get every award and scholarship that was offered. I was voted by the student body to be the speaker at graduation. I'm like, okay, this did not work out as planned. <laughs> sure. It's <laughs> now being pushed, you know, in the spotlight, in, which is exactly what I was running for. But again, what do I do? I go back to that clarity. I'm like, okay, hell of a journey. I don't know what I'm going to do with this, but hell of a journey. And here it is. And I just keep sticking with it. And you kept going. How long were you, uh, how long was photography a direct part of your life? Um, I mean, in some ways it still is, and I guess always will be. But, sure. um, you know, it's, I'm 40 years in. I mean, I started uh, okay. 39 years in. I started at age of 20. I mean, I was professionally had a storefront and all by the age of 20. I wow. just turned 59. Um the first 25 years of that was 100% photography. I knew nothing else. I mean, 15 years ago, if you asked me why, you know, what was my person, purpose in life, uh, I would have said to be a photographer. Okay. Uh, but at about 15 years ago, uh, it, just, it just wasn't enough. I mean, I was fulfilled by photography, but I felt like there was a bigger impact and I felt as, I mean, I had this beautiful business, thriving, serving affluent people, spending my days in gorgeous mansions, uh, loving, loving, loving the people I worked with, feeling good about the work. And yet I didn't, it, it somehow felt self-centered in its own okay. way, where I wanted, I wanted to, again, in the, the, the job of taking this soul on a hell of a journey, I wanted to do something more for other people than the business I was building for myself. And that's what led me to coaching. Okay. How do you, I'm curious, like the question that, that that's circulating in my mind is, how did you know? I mean, because there's, especially when you're in a, in a profession for that long, and like you said, you know, in, you're doing well, and then that just continues to fuel like, oh, well, in a way, without even thinking about it, it's like, well, I must, I must be doing the right thing. Like I'm being recognized, obviously. And I do have a success, successful business. Like, were were there moments, or were there practices, or rituals, or or, or something that helped you get to this point where, you know, th something's missing? Because mm. like, a lot of people, I think, find themselves there mm. but don't act. Yeah. So, I would say, inwardly, the feeling was less something was missing because I've always been keen to live my life from a place of gratitude. So sure. I don't, you know, I don't want to look at what's missing. I would say it was more a, a feeling of completion. Like I felt, and again, over the past 15 years, uh, it's only been the last seven years that I, I've really, you know, really dove off the cliff and have done, did very little photography. So there was kind of the, over this 15 year transition, the first eight years, I was doing, it was a yes and, right? I was doing photography, okay. building a coaching practice, which was actually kind of sweet, right? Because I was kind of like double income. It was really cranking. It was good. Uh, but it was a bit like two ships of passing in the night. Like something had to pull down as something else was yeah. coming up. So it was the first eight years, I did it slowly and carefully. Uh, but then I moved to Miami from New York City. And that was a little bit more of a jump off the cliff moment um, in that I was making a stronger statement that I was going to be doing a lot less photography. And I was really diving into thought leadership and writing a book and coaching. Okay. Um, and, and 
I don't know that I felt the initial inclination 15 years ago, but when in that in that jumping of the cliff moment, the feeling was an overriding feeling of completeness. Like I had accomplished way beyond what I could have ever imagined as a photographer. Um, I loved it. I was still inspired by it, but I felt complete. I just didn't feel like there was an overwhelming place for me to grow and expand myself. Um, so nothing ever felt missing. There was never boredom. There was never lack of inspiration. Um, and that is what I struggle with today. I do, I'll do maybe a couple shoots this year, uh, for people I haven't quite been able to say no to yet. Um, and I get satisfaction out out of the, the, the sessions, but just the growth isn't there. I can do it with my eyes closed. Yeah. And and that's not fun to me. Like I never thought about the irony of that Mark until you just sparked that. Like, it's weird to think about why you choose to become a photographer and you get to the point that you could do it with your eyes closed. Like that's, yeah. I think that's what's, that's the conflict. Like it just doesn't make sense to me to be a photographer if it's so mastered that sure. I can do it with my eyes closed. And yet the whole point is observation. Yeah. So the juice is just, the juice just isn't there, but it wasn't, um, it just, I felt complete. I was done. Was there, I mean, you talked about this earlier and I wrote this line down from your book. So the, the camera was something I could hide behind. Mm-hmm. Just going back to that, you know, hiding behind the lens was that something as well? Like, do you f- do you feel like you've you've evolved enough as a as an individual as well to? I don't need that lens anymore to to hide behind because I mean the work that you do now is is a, probably a little bit more public, especially with the speaking and so forth and the program and whatnot. You're, I mean, we're on camera right now. So you're you're doing a lot of different podcasts. Like, there's no there's no lens here hiding. You know, in a way, I guess there is technically, but you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, um, and I think it's a series of of lenses that we unveil. Whether you want to call it layers of authenticity, um, you know, obviously for me, lenses is, is a good metaphor. I mean, I start my TEDx talk off by walking out on stage and saying, "We all have closets to come out of." Yeah. Right. And you know that segues into a whole bunch of other stories. But I believe that. Right. There's just this constant stepping out in a bigger way, in a, in a broader way. And actually a coach of mine, uh, just the other day, uh, called me out, uh, let not say called me out. It's interesting. I would frame it that way, but pointed out that he listened to two podcasts where I was a guest on the podcast recently. And one was maybe six months ago and one was very recently. And because of the development work I'm working, things I'm working on right now, he was pointing out the significant difference the person he heard on a podcast six months ago versus the one that was recent. And Mm -hmm. when he brought that up, when he asked me if I suspected what he was going to say, I actually had an opposite. I thought he was going to point out that I was more authentic six months ago than recently because of the, the, you know, the work I'm doing internally for myself. Now I wondered, you know, sometimes when we're doing the deep work, we think we're hiding, right? So we're doing it alone. And but actually, energetically, he felt I was far more transparent. So, you know, I would say that some lens has come down in the past six months that somebody important to me can actually see a noticeable difference in my level of vulnerability and honesty from six months ago to today. So I think it's a constant series of dropping lenses uh, and how we see the world or how we want to be perceived. Yeah, for sure. Let's stick with that TEDx talk because again, like I, I, you know, I think of the person that doesn't, that is shy and wants to be in the dark room. Uh, and then, you know, you're, you're on stage for TED, which is now, I mean, I think that video, 
uh, was flipped to, to the main uh, page yeah. as well for Ted. Crazy, right? Congratulations yeah. uh, with that. So <laughs> yeah, it's just, thanks. it's so ironic given, mm-hmm. you know, knowing the backstory. And then the other part, and I, I don't know the timing of, of, of this, but I mean, you, you talk about this in your TEDx talk as well, but there's coming out and there's coming out as well with your, your sexuality. Mm-hmm. Like there's so many lenses dropping. Like, can you, can you share a little bit of that, sure. that story? Like, and how that came to be? And I guess fundamentally, like what flipped for you to have uh, the courage to to do that mm-hmm. and and put yourself and whatever you know you were feeling first. Yeah, yeah, and I didn't come out to the age of forty-four. Right? After um, yeah. you know previously having been married for nineteen years, three kids, yeah. divorced, and five years later came out. So there was a significant gap of time from when I divorced and and divorced and continued to date women and and quite honestly, which I don't talk about a lot, got married a second time um, to a fantastic woman, and it only lasted a year. And it was the result of that relationship that. Um, I had some awareness that, because honestly, sure. I think part of the trigger was she, I don't think you could find a greater person okay. to have a relationship with. And when someone is so magnificent and they're in front of you and you're not feeling something that you feel you should be feeling, mm-hmm. that was the mirror up in front of my face. I'm like, literally, I think this is one of the most superhumans anybody could ask to share their life with. I love her. I like her. Mm-hmm. And something's not there. And yeah. that's when the the looking became for me. And I knew there was, you know, I needed some time to myself to figure out what was going on. And, and, and it was almost instant, you know, that when I, when I allowed myself to consider uh, the option, could I be gay? It's like my whole life flashed backwards because it all yeah. made sense. You know, I mean, um, for one, I always joke, it's like, I, part of the confusion was I thought it was a chick magnet because all I, I was always surrounded by women. All my best friends were women. <laughs> Even yeah, to, yeah. today, all my, you know, 80% of my clients are women. Like, I've always been surrounded by women. I thought I was a chick magnet. Um, but no, it just, you know, there's obviously a connection and a safety, whether you know, anybody's knew uh, my truth or not at that point. They're just, it's who I connect with energetically. And um, so there was that confusion. And I had to recognize that I had always looked and observed men, but I never related it to any uh, anything sexual. I, to okay. me, I had always trying to been trying to figure out men because I couldn't figure out my father. I couldn't figure out my brothers. They weren't who I would have picked to share to, or to have in my life as a representation of men. So I just I had been figuring, trying to figure them out my whole life. So I thought it was coming from a place of curiosity. Mm. Um, and that has been a challenge for me, honestly, Mark. Uh, when I came out and shared with my therapist, my, my awareness, first of all, she wasn't shocked. Okay. Um, but secondly, I, I looked at her, I said, the problem is I hate men. She goes, I know you do. This is going to be a problem. <laughs> right. <laughs> it seems to say I hate men now, but I mean, I had to recognize my challenge with relating to men. And now I'm recognizing my truth, my authenticity, my sexuality. I'm like, what do I do with this now? Like this seems cruel. Yeah. <laughs> um, so it's, you know, it's again, dropping the lens but a series of figuring it out. So I, I don't know what, like I said, what triggered it was just having somebody before you that was so wonderful, but then just to really have a, a willingness to, um, to go with the flow, if you will. I mean, I really allowed myself. I bought, I, I was truthful up front. I bought myself some time to say, there's something here I have to figure out mm-hmm. and have a willingness to, to go there. Hello, friends. Given you're here, I'm making the assumption that you're motivated to be mentally fit. So with that in mind, I want to let you know about the Better Questions newsletter, which publishes once or twice a month, providing all of us the opportunity to slow down, think, 
and ask better questions. As you know, quality questions are my thing, and this is an opportunity to share the prompts I've studied and curated to help our minds be healthier, clearer, more intentional, and expand our mental capacity. You can sign up over at BehindTheHuman.com slash newsletter, which will also give you a preview of my debut book, Personal Socrates. That's BehindTheHuman.com slash newsletter. Now back to the show. I'll move on in, in a minute, just because I think there's, there's whether it's sexuality or identity in, in general, a lot of us go through these, these moments in, in life and for the most part aren't equipped with the tools. I mean, you mentioned, you know, you have a, a, a therapist, which uh, thankfully, again, you know, is becoming more and more discussed and openly, I, I should say, um, which is helpful. But I'm wondering, is there anything else that you found that has been helpful along your journey to help process, you know, a pretty significant shift in, in your life. Yeah. So, okay. So the first thing comes to mind is, which is, and I hope it's okay with the context of your show, because it's kind of brutally honest. Um, and I've never, ever shared this. <laughs> so my first uh, sexual encounter uh, was with a guy significantly younger than, than myself, like 20 years. Okay. Right? So, or 18 years. He was like in his late 20s. And that guy knew what he was participating in. The amount I reflect back and think of the wisdom. I mean, so I just want people to know there's people out there in the world unexpectedly, because that could have gone any way, any number of ways, right? But this was a young man that had the wherewithal to, to be a, a, uh, a Sherpa, right? He was, yeah. you know, he was... He knew what the weight of the responsibility. He took that responsibility, made sure it was safe, mm-hmm. made sure he was understanding. I mean, it, it's kind of profound, particularly yeah. at such a young age. So that's encouraging, right? That there are people breaking down all the barriers of what you, who you think they should be, the age that you think they should be, the race you think they should be, their position you think they should have. Um, there are people out there just that are containing a tremendous amount of wisdom and, and ability to support you through something. And, and so I, I have to attribute a great deal uh, to that guy. And then uh, it was really active. I'm a doer, right? So when something's in front of me, I'm like, how do I fix this? How do I deal with it? Right? So I sought out and pursued. There's a lot, there's a lot more mental support out there for my exact situation. Than I thought I was able to join a married men, gays, gay group, which is okay. totally men that were on that journey as married men, either coming out, having recently come out or, or married and chose not to come out. And it was an 80 year, 80 year old I guess 80 something year old guy in that group that took me aside at one point and said very clearly because he knew I was you know torn. And he's like, don't make a mistake I did. He says, I am he, I think he'd been mm. married. He said, like some 50 years. His wife knows he's gay. He knows he's gay. And they have an agreement to stay married. And he goes, and it works for them. He says, but he's going to go to his grave not feeling completely fulfilled. And he looked at me and he said, Don't do that. Yeah. Wow. No, that's yeah. wisdom. Yeah, yeah, right, and, and gutsy. You know, yeah. I mean, I, I I found a lot of people when you were in a situation of of uh, you know transition, trying to figure something out. I mean, there are I don't know if you want to call them angels amongst us or however term one might want to use, but um, if you're open to it, there are people around you that can be incredibly supportive and full of wisdom. Yeah, you just yeah, you just you have to put it out there and and, right. and seek 
And you have to poke at it. Yeah, that's why I said, yeah. like, I'm a doer. Like, if something, if I want to solve something, I poke at it. <laughs> you know, it, it, I don't, I'm not, I like manifestation, but I'm not a sit back and manifest with your eyes closed kind of guy. Like, that, it's that and poking at it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, and, and the other thing, too, that, like, that strikes me from just reading your material and, and everything you're doing right now, like, there's just, there seems to be, seems like you have a natural ability or a natural skill around reflection like questions like like why the hell am i doing this or uh which i don't know that that what might have been linked to your photography years or maybe not i mean like you could use that in, in more of a micro uh situation just to check in like what i'm doing right now even this week is this mm -hmm. is this helping me get to the place that i want to be or pushing me farther away right yeah, yeah. you know and, in a way, I suspect you're kind of the same way, just as I've gotten to know you that, I mean, I've, believe me, many, many times in my life, I've wondered, why do I have to work so hard to be me? Why does mm. it seem like I've got a really good friend who just seems naturally charismatic, naturally successful, naturally happy, has zero interest in diving deep into his personality, right? I mean, he's made yes. that very clear. He's my best friend, I think, probably because there's an opposite attraction there, you know? Yeah. Um, and, you know, sometimes, many, many times I've wondered, like, why do I have to work so hard to be me? Why do I have to do all this introspective work? And I've tried convincing myself that I, I dive too deep in the rabbit hole, that I should live more surface level. But I just can't. It's just not who I am. My, my, my whole being is just always diving in deeper to figure something out, figure myself out. And I, I always go back to, you know, the very, my very first comment, I think it goes back to this, this innate feeling that it's my responsibility to take this soul on a hell of a journey. And, yeah. um, but believe me, there are many times I'd love to be a whole lot more surface level than I am. Like I, I get tired of myself. <laughs> I'd love yeah, to yeah. just be materialistic, <laughs> you, you both, shallow huh? and surface level, <laughs> but I can't yeah. do it. <laughs> But I find, I, I can't remember if we were talking about this when we hit record or if it was before, um, but it was just around, you know, I, I think you brought this up, this this idea that you think, well, I think this is your next book, right? And, and share as much as if you, you, you'd like, but you think you know people, right? Like, so, yeah, I resonate with this. Uh, I've thought of this question as well. Like, why do I have to work so hard to be me? But then in retrospect, when you look at others that where it seems like it it's easy to be them, we don't really know, you know, right. like and we we talked about Robin Williams as yeah. as one of those people, um, you know, on the outside, it it looked like everything was was thriving, but there was some, you know, there's definitely some things that were were going on, and uh, which ultimately led to you know to his passing from a, a pretty right. serious mental health um, disorder or disease, right? So, I think it's just always perspective. Mm -hmm. Right. And I think that's important now. I mean, I've been trying to be pretty vocal and I've done some podcast podcast episodes on what I call the, you know, I'm calling this anyway, the period post pandemic. Yeah. Um, but it could easily be referred to as the period post any crisis that I, I've been around the block long enough to just see there's a cycle to this. Right. So when you're when you're in the crisis, the crisis is getting all the attention. And then there's the post-pandemic, right? That was the buzzword for so long, for 2021, 2022, the post-pandemic, post-pandemic, um, as if it's a thing, right? As if everybody's yeah. just going to come out of it and be totally hunky-dory and great. And, uh, but then there's this period post-pandemic, which is, I think, what we're in now, which is, I think, extremely vulnerable. We need to be talking about it so that people that are experiencing that 
Why does it look like everybody else's life is going on but mine? Why does it look like everybody else has recovered, but I haven't? Why is everybody else's business succeeding and I'm still struggling? And they're not speaking up. They're being quiet because it looks like we're supposed to be in the post-pandemic, right? This mm-hmm. euphoria. But I think there's such a tremendous amount of internal unrest going on right now that we need to make sure people are safe to express that. This is by no means the most hunky-dory time of my life. Like, I am going, I am going through it. Sure. Um, you know, I've, I've, been, I've just turned 59, and I've said, man, the 50s are an awful lot like your 20s. Like, it's okay. really great. You've claimed your independence, and oh my God, this is, like, hard. <laughs> you know, it's the same. I literally feel like I'm, you know, I have a daughter who's 29, who is my EA, and I'm in my 50s. We're literally 30 years apart, and I'm like, I said to her the other day, I said, I think we're the same person. Like they, what you're yeah. like, like that maturity <laughs> and fear and, you know, it's the same thing. And, and, um, so, you know, I, I think we need to be open about that because there are yeah. a lot of people that, you know, it looks like it should be better, but they're not feeling it on the inside. I think it's an incredibly vulnerable time. And it always has been after every major shift and crisis we've gone through. And, I do encourage people to be honest about their own authenticity and where they're at, as well as if you're somebody who's who's struggling a bit, to please open up. You're, you're not the only mm-hmm. one. I, I mean, I couldn't agree with you more. I see it as well, and 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 I'm going through it as well. It, it seems like, you know, thankfully, you know, you and I. I mean, just given the work that we do, there's there's you know, we have access to a lot of tools and whatnot, which doesn't. Again, I mean, we're human as well, but a lot of people don't. And I, I what I've noticed is that, you know, you throw you throw on this pandemic and so many people are forced into reflection, whether they wanted it or not. And usually there's something that surfaced through that period that, no, maybe I'm not on the right path. Maybe, you know, there, like some stuff has come up and then it's just, okay, go. No one, ha- there's no support. There's no tools and just figure it out. And you see, I see this all the time with with companies and company culture. They're trying everything possible. It's like, oh, we'll take everyone on a corporate retreat and buy them some new notebooks and water bottles. And it's like, <laughs> uh, I don't know. It's not, you know, it doesn't seem to be enough because there's like real, some real internal stuff going on right yeah. now. So, I, I mean, I couldn't agree with you more. It's... um you know, it's just a time where I think we 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 really need to to band together. Yeah, there's and, an unrest. Yes, you know, which I hadn't. I don't know if I'd ever coined that phrase until I just heard you reflect it back. Like, there's an unrest, um, which feels like a stirring on the inside, and and yeah, um, yeah. I think the tools, for example. I, so one of the things I've been working on is for months now uh, as a tool is the the hero's journey, yeah. uh, which is you know, familiar for many people. Joseph Campbell, etc. And, but I'm actually working with a hero's journey coach and, and very careful. I mean, he's very careful to state and, and I'm going to reiterate the, the importance of understanding that the hero's journey as a tool is a construct. It's not a prediction, right? Okay. And it's not a, you know, you can't, you can't do the work to see where you're at in the whole her, hero's journey to look forward to the next thing that's coming because it's not meant for prediction. And in yeah. fact, it's, it's usually something you can only really benefit from in hindsight, that you can mm-hmm. see the journey of your life and it now makes sense. Um, but as I said earlier, like I'm one to study, uh, observe and poke. <laughs> so to yeah. me, the work I've been doing on Hero's Journey is kind of poking in the process, you know, just to see what's there. Um, 
but it's it's clear enough again not using it as a prediction but it's clear enough to look at the various stages we take in this journey just to to recognize for me personally anyway i've been very much in a testing phase you mm. know and um because even friends around me have said how are you still standing like i mean it's kind of you know it almost gets to the point to me for me i t- start taking it with humor i'm like okay yeah. that too like okay let's throw this at you know um I've had, you know, I've had the darts. Yeah, <laughs> I've had yeah. the darts thrown um, in the past a few years. You know, the passing of my, you know, care of my mother, passing of my mother, a whole bunch of other things around that, separate from it, you name it. Um, so it's, um, you know, and it, it, and so to me, the hero's journey in itself as a construct is a tool. Mm-hmm. Um, I use mantras a lot as a tool as well. I actually, okay. um, I, I reached out to my hero's journey coach which he wrote back with some humor because I said to him, I said, okay, the, the darts keep coming. Like I need a mantra to like ground myself. Like, you know, what do you suggest? Like, uh, this is just, you know, I was, so I said, how about a couple of these? Like it's part of the process. Just breathe. You know, I was trying to give myself a, a phrase. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, he, he wrote back with humor and said, I just love it when my clients ask me a question and answer the, the, their own question. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. so it's kind of like, can you give me a mantra? How do these work? He's like, yeah, any one of those is exactly Exactly part of the process of what we're working on. So yeah. I, I when do you use it, Jeffrey? How, how, how has that been showing up for yeah. you? So and in my, my business institute, my self-employed business institute, it's, it's one of the practices and tools I teach in there as well. I call them shutdown phrases. Mm-hmm. So and I call it that way because we have all this inner narrative. We have all this inner talk going on. And that often the best thing we could do is shut it down as quickly as possible. Yeah. And um, so that's how I use mantras. Like I wanted... I. I became very clear like these darts are not going to stop. Like it just, I just seem to be at a stage in life where I'm being tested. Like they just just keep coming. And, you know, I want to gather the strength. So to me, it's like, how do I shut that down? How do I shut down the inner narrative? Oh, poor me. It's another dot. I'm so fed up of it. A dart. I'm fed up with this. How do you shut that down? Like to me, it's like, I want a phrase to shut it down. So, and get myself regrounded. Um, so I will, you know, say something like I'm recently working with, like it's part of the process, just breathe. Right. So I'm not hating it. It's sort of like meditation, right? You're not making it going away. You're just letting it pass through like a cloud. Yeah. Um, and that helps, um, when I'm prone to small talk or talk within myself, making me feel smaller, um, than I am, um, you know, I literally, my shutdown phrase is, okay, just sit down and shut up. Like I just, I will talk to myself that way. So that's my use of mantras, which isn't as, uh, you know, Zen-like as people might like, but it's <laughs> Where real. Where are your beads? Where the, yeah. Exactly. But it's real to me. It's yeah. like, I don't have time. I mean, I do meditate in the morning and I have my morning practices, but I don't have time in the middle of the day to get all Zen-like, like just shut that crap down and yeah. get going. So I, I use mantras as shutdown phrases a lot. I love that. I mean, it's, um, I love the terminology of shutdown phrases. I've 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 noticed what I've been trying on my side is I I text myself and oh, wow. it's it's just basically a shutdown phrase. Now that. that I have terminology around it, or I'll leave a quick little audio note in a journaling app just because it feels nice to to hear your voice. But mm-hmm. it's all the same reason to just just not 
put ourselves through, or at least put myself through mental torture for the rest of the day or days on end with one looping thought, right? And yeah. you just, like, just, to your point, shut it down and, and find, the, find the, the method that works. Or best. ask yourself a good question. I happen to know yeah. somebody that's really good at that. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> right? Because, I mean, you totally shifted my idea on that because I love quotes and I have a folder of quotes. Uh, I call yeah. them my quick hits. The more I say it, energetically, a lot of the terms I use don't sound very positive energetically <laughs> but because quick hits, it sounds like something else. But they're my quick hits, you know, because yeah. we're busy people trying to take on the world in a big way. So when I have that funk moment, I go to my my folder of quotes and I get a quick hit. I'll read Wisdom by Jim Rohn. I'll read Wisdom by somebody. And it's a quick hit that picks me up. Yeah. Uh, but you've helped me reframe that. Like now I kind of want a folder of questions. Like now I want to go like, <laughs> just ask yourself a good question, you know, yeah. and it's it, it's. It's distraction, right? Yeah. I mean, if you're if you're getting it shifts your perspective exactly. If you're sinking down the hole about one thing, ask yourself a powerful question and get out of the hole. Well, and the other thing, and this is part this linked to your TED uh, your TEDx talk that I I uh, was kind of on the edge of my seat reading this part of the book. That uh, I'm curious to see if you've had any other moments like this, uh, even going through you know some of the darts that have been thrown your way, but just hearing kind of the whispers of the universe or whatever you want to call mm -hmm. it coming your way and and uh, you know, I, I'd rather you explain the details, but basically you weren't going to give your, your TEDx talk yeah, and then you out. stepped into an art ga gallery. Yeah, Why yeah, don't you just share those details? Crazy, I mean, crazy. So wild. It's crazy. And, and by the way, a lot of the work of the, the work I'm doing, the hero's journey as as my uh, coach has described is, and I think this is just true all the time. It's just there you go through moments in your life where you're being trained to be more attuned to it is that you're, your unconscious and conscious are both at work. And, um, you know, a lot of times they're trying to go in the same direction, right? You're, but your unconscious is trying to go in a direction that your conscious either aligned with or stopping or, you know, but the two things are going on at the same time. And when you realize that there is a training that can be done to hear the subconscious better. Mm -hmm. And he has really taught me to listen to what I call my own word. He doesn't use this term, but I listen to it. I call it the pangs. Like pangs. That, that pangs, like that pang of your subconscious, like yeah. um, that. And he, he's really helped me tune into that. Like the, the pang you get when you want to say something to somebody subconsciously, but then your conscious mind talks you out of it, whether it's a good or bad, you might want to, have yeah. you might want to have wanted to have complimented somebody on their shirt and you talked yourself out of it. Why? Because you might come across as a creepy middle-aged guy, you know, who knows what the reason might be. Um, so he's really, that to me has been a big part of the work lately. It's just really listening to that, that pang. And, and if we don't, you kind of sometimes miss some really obvious signs. So this, the story behind the TEDx is that you know, after months of preparation, getting ready to do it, uh, I went through a really bad breakup. Um, and it, it wasn't even a long relationship. It just was a, it was a triggering relationship. Like it was just, you know, it, it meant something different to me in my life at that time. So the impact of the breakup was significant. And it really sent me down a hole that I just didn't see in myself the ability to give this TEDx talk. Because to give a TEDx talk is going to call upon all your inner strength, all your bravery, which for Stop me is already me. not a... Yeah, it's already not a... Well, for me, it's already not a full reservoir, right? Because I've already got fear and all that stuff. So... Um, yeah. And, you know, here I'm giving a talk that had a lot to do about authenticity and expectations. And I'm like, oh, yeah, let me stand up there in front of the audience and act like everything's great. Meanwhile, my heart is being torn apart on the inside. And I just, I truly tried making a decision as to who I wanted to be in the world. And if I'm living my life in a way that I want to be authentic, I can't do this TEDx talk. 
So I contacted my co-writer for my TEDx talk and, and let her know uh, I was backing out. I think it was like on a Wednesday I contacted her. And she said, um, you know, g- give, give it two days and then decide. Mm. And during, that, during those two days, it happened to be I had a client flying in from elsewhere in the country to spend the day with me. And uh, living in Miami at the time, I wanted to take her to the local art district called Wynwood. And, and uh, now mind yeah, you, my TEDx talk is there. Yeah, cool. Super cool. So mind you, the TEDx talk, the subtext of the contest is all about expectations. So I go into this art gallery by Peter Tooney, very, very, very well-known artist, uh, huge. And he, he has a huge gallery, owns, owns much of Wynwood Walls, super successful artist. And I walk in, which I do often, and I walk in and there's this huge painting on the wall that uh, says, expectations are the blueprint for disappointment. And I'm like, huh, isn't that ironic, right? I'm like, isn't that? And I, I'm th- in the back of my crazy mind, I'm thinking I need to have that. So I step forward. It's 150 grand. I'm like, yeah, you're not having that. So yeah. I don't buy the painting. But then I look over to the desk and there's this guy standing there who I'd never seen in the gallery before because he's usually a younger French guy who's there. This guy, a little bit older guy, covered in paint. And I recurred to me, I'm like, God, is this him? So I walked, I said, are you Peter? And he said, yes. Like, you're never here. Like, you don't expect to see the artist of that caliber. Yeah. And um, he said, well, I've had a really, you know, crappy day, so I'm here. And, and I asked him, I said, by chance, do you have a print of that painting? And I went on to explain to him my whole experience. I was, my TEDx talk, I was yeah. backing out of it. A whole story. I just unloaded on this poor guy. And he walked over to a print rack and he pulled out a print version of it, which I glanced at real quickly and it was 3000 I'm like, okay, I didn't plan on spending three grand on the way to dinner, but I'm kind of in it now. Like, yeah, I mean, you can't not do that. It's the artist. I can't not <laughs> buy it now. And um, so he pulls it out of the sleeve, takes a pen, a pencil from behind his ear, signs the painting, uh, writes a brief message and hands it to me and says, here. And I, I get ready to pay for it. And he's like, no, no, this is my gift. I'm like, you can't do that. He says, the hell I can't do it. It's my business. I can do whatever I want. <laughs> yeah. And I said, no, no, seriously, I can't accept this. He goes, look, he says, you think I'm giving you a gift. He goes, I have had the worst day. It's why I'm here trying to give myself a break. You have been a gift to me tonight because you're exactly somebody I needed to meet and really see the impact of my art. He goes, this is mm. my gift. Right. So how could I not do my TEDx talk after that? So yeah. I had to contact my editor. I said, I'm, I'm in. You know, I, I have to do it now. I mean, this the whole thing was just like, are you kidding me? Yeah. Like, there's no way that... I wasn't supposed to read into that whole experience. Um, so I have the print. It hangs proudly on my wall. Uh, he also gave me his business card and said, I wanted to hear how your TEDx talk, talk goes. So I reached out to him afterwards as well. Oh, and said, oh what a beautiful full circle moment, <laughs> yeah. right? I mean, because there, there's the ripple effect of, of his gift to you and your gift to him. But mm-hmm. then a bunch of people globally, you know, watching that TEDx talk and, yeah. and, and receiving the value yeah. of that message. And having I mean, no idea. And I will say, and particularly because I know you have an upcoming TEDx talk. I don't know if that was supposed to be private, but no, it's not that's now. totally fine. That's why I said, <laughs> just for the listeners, why I said, stop scaring me with yeah. you know all the expectations. <laughs> so what I did in the last minute, I hear you prepare for this for months. Um, and in my case, we had the full 18 minutes. TEDx has kind of changed. You, you might only have 12, like kind of changed the yeah. structure. But I had I uh, actually no, did we had 12? I don't remember. But months of preparing for this very brief talk and in the moment, I knew in order for me to feel good about this talk, that I had to recognize my current state. It was mm. not perfect. 
right? So I may have been trying to give the perfect talk, but I, I needed for it to be authentic or I would for the rest of my life look at that talk and cringe because the guy on the screen didn't match the guy I knew was experiencing it. Yeah. And I, to be honest, it's been so long since I watched it because it was 2018. I don't remember exactly what I said, but it was some at some point. And by the way, the, the guy that broke up with me, we were at a point where I invited him to be in the audience. So he was in the audience. And there's a point in the talk where I look straight at him and I say something about, you know, at times in your life, not everything is perfect. Something. I'd actually don't, I'd have to go back and watch it. Yeah. But in the moment, I knew I needed to bring this talk back to authenticity or I would never be able to look at it. So I looked straight mm -hmm. at him and said what I needed to say that connected with the talk, but he knew exactly what I was saying. It was a message to him at the Whoa. same time. Powerful. Yeah. Powerful. So what do you think... Uh with your current journey right now with with the darts kind of being thrown and I know it's been challenging and and whatnot what what gifts do you think you're being you know given right now whether from others or even I I can't I wanted to ask you about maybe directly like what gifts are uh, uh, is your daughter giving you uh, you know those intersecting generational uh, brackets I guess you could say which is super fascinating well, to answer your first question, ask me again in five years because I don't know right now. Okay, you're <laughs> you know, in it. It's kind of like in hindsight. No, I mean, I say that because that is the, the real feeling. And yeah. yeah, I'm definitely, and I want to preface this by saying I'm not someone who believes that all things happen for a reason because a lot of things that happen just suck, right? Yeah. I, I don't. Sometimes yeah. I don't think it's healthy to try to look for a positive reason as to why something bad happens. I mm -hmm. mean, I, I commend people that do, people that lose children and, and find the goodness in them. I'm like, okay, I, I don't know that I can do that. You know, I mean, yeah. I, I'm more human than that, I guess. I don't know that I could. Um, so I admire people that can always find the good and a reason and everything. Um, I also have just lived my life feeling like, yeah, and some things just suck. I don't need to find a positive reason in this. Um, but in this case, I, I really believe the, the, particularly because I've been studying the, the hero's journey, I really believe in the, f at some point, and believe me, my brain wants, I've, I literally said to my coach, but when, <laughs> right? <laughs> Tell me the date. This is all yeah. going to turn around. <laughs> Which gallery do I have to visit? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Cause I always want to know when, um, but at some point, I believe, you know, to use the metaphor of the hero's journey, I will be handled, handed, handed the elixir to bring into the new world, right? Yeah. I, I think something really big, maybe it's my next book, maybe it's, I don't know. I really think I'm going to, I'm going to hit something that's going to really change a lot of things. Yeah. Um, so I do think the, the gifts and the, the tests are worthwhile and the gift is yet to come. Yeah. As far as the gifts, the gift of being with my daughter, I mean, it, it in itself has been a journey. So I recent last November, I moved from Miami to Jacksonville, Florida. And if anybody's not familiar with those two areas, when you move to Jacksonville and you tell people you move from Miami, people are like, why the hell did you move from <laughs> Miami to Jacksonville? Like it makes sense to no one. <laughs> it's just not a normal, right? Yeah. Miami is like the hippest, coolest, you know, high energy city, more even more so than New York City, and you move to Jacksonville, which is slow and sleepy and, you know, a little rough around the edges. Um, but now, mind you, I live in a part of Jacksonville that's the historic district, which is really what I was grasping. Like, I really okay. wanted to reconnect with history and own an old home like I, I had like, 20 years ago. So there was this, this package of life that I was looking to develop. I wanted 
to live in an antique home. I wanted to have a garden again. I lived in condos for 20 years mm-hmm. and I wanted a garden and I wanted to, I wanted to reconnect with all of that. And, um, we chose Jacksonville as a place to do it because it's as far north as my partner was willing to go because he didn't want to leave nice weather. Yeah. My daughter living in Connecticut at the time, I mentioned it to her and her and her partner were looking for a change. So they said, well, we'll move down here. So it became like this life package deal. Oh, nice. Where within a week of one another, I moved north from Miami to Jacksonville. She moved south from Connecticut to Jacksonville. And now we're all just building this new life together in Jacksonville. She lives nine minutes away, uh, works for me every day. Um, you know, we're, we do landscaping projects together. The days we work together all week and when we're not working on the weekends, we do things together. We're both in relationships where our partners work most weekends. So it's just she and I. And, um, so it's just, yeah, it's just all full of gifts because we're literally building a life together and we're hopeful that she and her partner will have kids someday. And, I'll be able to be an active grandparent. And yeah. I don't know what we're, I, I often think, I don't know what we're doing here. I don't know what we're doing in this place, but we're building something. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. It's fun and crazy. Like I said, it definitely feels like part of the the hell of a journey. I'm like, I really can't make sense of why we picked Jacksonville. I don't, I can't entirely make sense of why here. And I don't know if it's forever or if it's temporary. I honestly don't know, but we're building something. I love that line. Speaking of mantras, I mean, that I feel like, I feel like I'm going to borrow that one from from you. Is I'm building something. You yeah. know? I don't know exactly what exactly. it is, but I know it's going somewhere. Yeah, it's like uh, it's like I don't know our version of Burning Man or something. We're building something. <laughs> we don't know Burning what it's going to. We don't know what it's going to look Florida. like or if it's going to keep standing. I don't know. <laughs> totally. Oh, uh, well, I could I could continue forever with with you. I mean, there's just so many so many threads that we could pull and 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 um, you know explore and whatnot. I, I guess my just in respecting your time and starting to wrap up. I mean, for I know you focus a lot on the the self employed uh, life. Let's say, obviously, mm-hmm. given the title of your show as well as your book, and you know any of these tools and everything that we've talked about, uh, I think it's applicable across the board. But when you look at self employed, there is there is a different level of of pressure. Uh, having been in the corporate space and now, you know, being on my own for the last, uh, I guess, seven years, that I think a lot of what we talked about are almost have to be non-negotiables for anyone self-employed. So I'd love to just, you know, I want to, I want to leave people uh, curious so that they, they jump into to your work and especially your book, which I greatly enjoyed and it's full of awesome wisdom and practices, tools, habits, and all that kind of stuff. But like, what's your, what's your message to that? audience like what 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 you know what what do you want to get across to them to to help i mean i just found that no one was speaking real talk to self-employed business owners i've read all the business books and yeah. did all the things and you know, i 40 years i've you know i've done a lot of business training and i just didn't feel anybody was being real and talking to what it means to be self-employed and i insisted with my publisher that the word life be in the title because it could easily have been called know, how to be successfully self-employed, which yeah. was, you know, a likely working title for a long time. I'm like, it's just not capturing the book. What we need to talk about is the self-employed life, right? It's because we're business owners, we're, we might be parents, we're children. I mean, we're all these things all at the same time, or, you know, I, I like to say it's the best of times, the worst of times, all the time at the same time. Like, it's just, yes. you know, it's all of that. And and it's way more than just, which I think a lot of people from the outside think it's just the way our our 
businesses overlap our personal life or verse, vice versa. It's way more than that. And I, I tried uh, coining a phrase in the book that I think reflects it, which is your level of success is proportionate to your level of personal development, right? Yeah. You have to, I mean, when you're self-employed, you will only achieve the level of financial success and business success relative to what you have grown to be convinced you deserve. Otherwise, you're just hitting your head against the ceiling. Like you could be working hard as you want, but if you still think you deserve only this little amount, you only deserve to be this much more successful than your family, you can work as hard as you want. You're just hitting your head against the wall. It's not going to happen. So, so true. Right? So, and then we see this every day. It's like, and I work with clients, like are doing all the things and, you know, but they've got those blocks that are just mm. keeping the ceiling. I call it the deserving ceiling because it's one of the most significant ones. There are many others, but I, I refer to the deserving ceiling as just, it's sitting right on top of your head and it, there's only this space above it for you to get the success you want in business and in life to the degree that you're willing to raise that deserving ceiling first. So that's the conversation, the real conversation around being self-employed that I think just had not, did not exist. Uh, it's way more than how to save taxes when you're self-employed. It's, you know, <laughs> all those silly things people are throwing out there. No, it's like we need to talk about how connected your personal development is to your success when you're self-employed. Um, yeah. Because people want the level of success. They may not have been woken up to the fact that they need to work on it from the inside in order to achieve that success. Yeah. Well, thankfully, they've got at least about 700 episodes of content that they can turn to. It's actually close to 900, Mark. <laughs> okay, close to 900. My, my apologies. That's incredible. Nine years, um, 900 episodes, yeah. It's wild, wild that they can tune into. And then, of course, your books and uh, the Institute as well, uh, Business Institute that you fired up. And, and you know, just, just you as the, the awesome human you are. I mean, I, I have to say thank you. I mean, thank you for obviously making the time to come jam on the show and, and, and share your journey and, and, and your, your skills and your wisdom and work and all of that. But I think what, what comes to mind for me is, is a higher thank you in releasing some of those lenses and breaking down some of those lenses that, you know, at one point, you know, it's like you said, you, you felt like you were hiding behind, whether that was personally or professionally, because there's so many people and, and, and the ripple effect of you doing that uh, is helping a lot of people out there, including, you know, us having this conversation right now and, and, and all the other ones that you have. So thank you for, mm, thank you. for doing that. That's very touching. Thank you. I appreciate that reflection. Until the next time. 